Hello, everybody. Happy Wednesday. Michael Martin here. Thanks for listening. So another thing that can come up that can derail you when markets get like this is if you start paying too much attention to what I would would refer to as and what I do refer to as the narrative. You can convince yourself to do anything if you don't have a set plan. And if you're frustrated from getting knocked out of names because there's no follow through and or you're not going to you're not willing to look at you know managing risk in a much more uh short term time frame environment which is the one that we're in now you might be you know searching social media scouring the internet this and that who knows what you do how you do it maybe you're on the phone you're reading research when you start to find that you're down even if you're down marginally you feel like you have to overcome stuff. You have to remember it's life on life's terms. If the market is not amenable to your trading style, I think the worst thing you can do is to go from being like a long-only intermediate-term trend follower, which is tough in this market, to an option seller, right? I feel like if you come to the market and say, I have to make money every day, you're putting yourself in a tough spot because now you're talking about accuracy, not expectation, as in expected values, mathematics of expectation. So I would increase your time frame and just say, hey, did I win the day? And if I do that every day, I'll win the week. Given what you know, which is, and given what I know about any given day, it's very little. That's why I like to advocate to know yourself because you can know yourself. You can understand the market, but let's face it, prediction is, is hard. And um, studies have shown, if you read anything from Daniel Kahneman and Nassim Taleb to another degree, Annie Duke, prediction is something that people love to do because they like to feel smart. But pro traders are like, well, I'd rather make money than be smart. And I think there is a trade-off there. I think you need to be smart enough to have tactics, but that also includes knowing when to sit on your hands and to be yourself. That doesn't necessarily mean to change yourself. It means to just be yourself. Do what you do. If you get too caught up in the narrative about, you know, what's happening with certain companies, you can find yourself abandoning your trading rules or worse you can start having a different trading rule for different days you can have a different trading rule for different names and i think when you when in a rising bull market when things are frothy those types of strategies will work because the bull market kind of corrects all mistakes in a lot of ways because people are in a buying spirit when you don't know I don't want to say when you don't know what you're doing. I want to say if you don't have a set plan, one that you replicate day after day after day, you can very, very easily start changing lanes on yourself when you really don't have any business doing it. Now, of course, from a liberty standpoint, you have the right to do whatever you want. It's your life. It's your money. But if we're talking about getting results, results that you can count on, behavior that gets the results that you can count on, that's even better. So it all comes down to behavior. You have to be able to control yourself with no room for error within a market that's hard to predict. Again, you're thinking of probabilities. 
what are the expected values, right? And if you haven't heard it now and learned it, this is the time to do it. You don't need an MBA. You don't have to get a CMT. You just need to know for the strategy that you trade, what's your accuracy rate? And then when you are right, how much do you win? When you're wrong, what do you lose? If that number comes out to be positive, now you can start. That's where you start. Because then you can figure out position sizing. You got to figure out your leverage. You have to figure out, you know, a whole bunch of stuff. And when you look at the data, not the chart, you can start to figure out your holding periods. So in this type of environment, I've seen it happen a lot. People start to go crazy. They get frustrated. They start doing different stuff because they feel they need to. They feel they're lacking or they feel like they're missing out on stuff because other, you know, certain things are moving. And they, with rebounds especially, they suck people back in. And, you know, that's that can be pro problematic because this is going to happen if you're going to do this for whatever, a couple decades. You're going to have moments like this where there's, you know, even if the market isn't weak, you will have sector rotation, right? So here's a good time to go look at the data. What sectors now are showing higher relative strength compared to where they had been? What ones are losing? I think it's going to be hard to make money in certain stocks if their sector is dropping in relative strength. You know, you might have an opportunity in like one name, and I've always advocated to make sure that you're going with the strongest horse in the barn, the horse being the stock, the barn being the sector. But again, you don't want to take it in the teeth. If you're an investment advisor, then yeah, it probably doesn't matter. But if you're trading, I would say, and you're having trouble harvesting names on your watch list, and you don't have screening software, you could simply look and see what sectors are showing signs of, of higher relative strength. Then within that sector, you can look for your names. And there, it's not problem solved, but it's certainly your step in the right direction. And this will help you detach from the names from yesteryear and getting caught up in, like I say, the dialogue and all the conversation that's happening. If you get too far down the path of the narrative, which is hard because that's what you hear, right? You're listening to mad money and fast money and you're on Twitter and stock twits and everyone has narrative. But you can't let narrative outweigh your trading plan, right? And this is where I think people differentiate themselves from between traders and, and investment advisors. Investment advisor, you need narrative because part a big part of the job is marketing. So you have to have narrative. Trader doesn't have to really worry about that because, you know, he or she or they are just doing it for themselves and or their clients. They're following rules. The narrative is what everyone else is thinking about. But risk management doesn't care about narrative. Risk management doesn't care about Tesla buying Bitcoin and having that being part of it. Like, it's not, you can't tell me that it would be better to stay in the name at 660 because they bought Bitcoin than rather than getting stopped, you know, at 822 or 820, whatever your number was when it broke support, right? 22 was the more... Closer term number, 800 was the longer term support, but that in and of itself is an art and science. So you can't let that narrative start to determine what's going on. You know, it's the same reason why I find that if you're looking at media sources for your trading ideas and or listening to 
you know, the supposed media darlings, you know, you got to remember, the media is concerned with selling advertising space. The stories in and of themselves don't really matter. Everyone's intentions are very different. You're trying to learn, you're trying to feed your brain. They're trying to get eyeballs to watch and, and unique visitors because the unique visitors become part of what we call CPM and being a Roman numeral for a thousand cost, right? Per thousand views. That's how they charge for their advertising, right? So you need to be aware of all of this so that you're not part of a system and you don't need to know what role you're playing. So the media is going to change change the names and rotate the names, rotate the tickers, rotate the players, but it's still largely sensational, especially if it gets people angry, right? So at the end of the day, you don't want to find yourself agreeing with other people. That's the worst thing that you can do. Yeah, oh yeah, he makes a good point there. That means I got to buy. I feel like, again, if you're an investment advisor, you definitely need narrative because it's part of your marketing. If you're a trader, you need to be thinking more, here's my setup or setups, and here's my entry point, here's my position sizing, here's the percent that I'm willing to risk, and if it hits a certain spot, I'm going to say, uncle, I'm going to get I'm going to offset the risk and transfer it to someone who's willing to take it on at that particular point, price. If you're an investment advisor, you can find yourself into sloganeering. And then you get into this Johnny Cochran, if it doesn't fit, you must acquit kind of logic. And you can kind of convince yourself of all different levels of bullshit, which don't really serve you. They're ultimately coping mechanisms. And by having a set, a set set of rules, I think whether you're an advisor or a trader can help you from not being involved in all the crappy dialogue that you need to get into, either with yourself or with clients. And we talked about that on the show a whole bunch of times, how to draw good boundaries with clients, how to manage their expectations, how to let them know for sure what it is that you're doing and what you're not doing, and making sure that they understand that even though they have money invested and money in an account, there are times to have risk on, there's times to have risk off. And that being fully invested isn't necessarily the smartest thing all the time. It could be an act of bravado. The main goal, I think, for everyone listening, whether you're an advisor or a trader or a family office person, is to always wake up in the morning and say, how do I not lose money today? Where are my blind spots? Right? Play superior defense. Focus on not losing. Right? Tom Peters, famous management guru. Kind of, I think one of the books was uh, In Search of Excellence. Big uh, management book back in the day. I remember reading one of his books. I think it was the second one. And he said, you know, there's a mindset out there in management, if it's not broke, don't fix it. And his thought was like, well, if it's not broken, you haven't looked hard enough, right? So we're thinking about automation. We're thinking about how to improve, how to improve things. And so likewise here, what position do you have where you're up quite a bit, where you're gloating and even to yourself about what you've made? That's the time where you should be saying, okay, well, where did I get it wrong here? Where do I screw this trade up? And then work out various scenarios. If it goes here, what am I going to do? Do I move half the inventory? Do I get rid of the whole thing and come back after we form a base? 
I'd like to think that you would have those things all worked out ahead of time so that this way when they happen, they just become operational. You just execute. You know, without any type of negotiating with yourself or coping because someone else still likes the name as it's falling, right? If you're buying stuff because Kathy Wood is, you don't really have much of a strategy, you know? And there's nothing wrong with having mentors and leaders and coaches or role models that you look up to and you aspire to be like for sure but risk management it's such a personalized process and i think if you're really willing to do the work you'll find that your understanding of risk right because risk isn't bad neither is fire right it's really a thermostat you're just trying to set the right level for yourself and that if you're doing this and handling other people's money, it's not because you're a risk lover. It's just that you're better at handling risk than other people are. At least I am. And so when you look at that, you can't say, well, I know we're in this name at 60. It's at 45, but Kathy Wood still likes it. That's how you get fired. Right? So you do have to be an independent thinker. Now, if you're looking and reading the tape and seeing what everyone else is saying, you can give, you know, get yourself to thinking, well, the whole rest of the world is bullish, the chart's up, you know, maybe, maybe there's a way to look at that. Super subjective, though. I mean, because I don't know how you would quantify that other than, you know, having a general understanding and then you have a bias. And, that's, that's, and that goes into the black swan. Just because you haven't seen one doesn't mean it, it, it doesn't exist. So I think the best players in this type of environment are the ones who are going to be sitting around saying, okay, we're going to cut our frequency, we're going to cut our position sizes, and then once we're in something and it starts making money, we need to know what is the probability of the follow-through because now we have a different level of expectation, right? Things change. Odds, odds and probabilities are the same. just depends how you look at them, right? So... You can take a probability and turn it into odds. Then once you know the odds, you can figure out, you know, bet sizes and all that kind of stuff. So you might find that given the market environment that we're in, your bet sizing might need to change. You might find from looking at the data, not the charts, that you can actually afford to add a little bit more risk if you're willing to offset your trade, you know, that you put on Monday at Wednesday's close, Right? So then you're starting to think like, okay, for the types of trades that I put on, the average move is XYZ percent, and that usually happens in the first two, three, four days. And then after that, the marginal return, you know, doesn't serve me because the market stalls. And if you're long, you only make money when it goes up. If it stalls or goes down, obviously, one, you have opportunity costs. The other one, you have actual, you know, loss or retracement and giving back unrealized gains. So if you look at the data, you can look to be more proactive and take that responsibility onto yourself as opposed to saying, well, Mark Cuban likes this here, Kathy Wood likes this here, Kramer likes this one here. I don't think if you're going to trade, that's a method for failure. Again, that goes back to Michael Marcus. If you're trying to trade the best ideas from three different people, you're going to get the worst of all those models. That's not a way to go. But to say that, that is definitive. You can't trade someone else's model. You need to develop your own one. And if you're struggling here, that's okay. But I'm trying to save you money here by not doing boneheaded stuff, only because I know I've done them myself when I didn't know any better. So, you know, we're all in this together here. You know, we're sharing experiences, and these experiences, to me, are universal. 
and it really become it really gets down to like how do you handle it and that comes down to emotional intelligence <laughs> so again if you need to be the smartest person in the room this is a tough market to be that person and if you're losing money no one cares about your bullish thesis get out and preserve your cash because now you're in a, 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 you know you're locked horns with the market and the market is weak it's not a weak argument. It's making a strong argument that equities are weak at this point and there's no follow through. So if you're going to, granted, if you're trading size, it's hard to move a 100,000 share position of some of these, these names. You can't do it all at once. But you should have an idea that if you start to see, you know, the trades don't follow through or worse, the breakouts reverse on the same day. Yeah, no one, your bullish thesis it's hard to have a bullish thesis, get long, and then have the thing reverse in your face. What do you call the client and say that night? See, that's where you have to manage their expectations and say, look, even before we put on a single trade, I want you to understand that there may be days where we're putting on trades, but the market tells us that our timing is wrong. And if our timing is wrong, it's nothing personal, but we have to preserve cash, and we actually have to offset the very trade that we initiated that day. Why? Well, because my goal is to lose you less. If you want to do buy and hold and go passive on the S&P, go knock yourself out. But you're going to have a 20 to 30% drawdown at any particular time. And those are sizable numbers. With us, you know, yes, we're market timing. And that means we're going to be adding and removing risk, you know, following our rules. So we can't be doing stuff because other people like the name here, you know. Their quality of life isn't going to change. They have vast resources. And two, when you really think about it, they're trying to be media stars. They're not trying to be risk managers that are going to be accountable. They're just spouting their opinion. Most of those people are never going to shy away from a microphone that's stuck in their face. They're always going to have something to say, even if it's largely empty, vapid, and banal, um, which is one of the reasons why I don't even listen to it. It's, you know, my opinions are better. Why would I need to listen to somebody else's opinions about the market? And you should try to endeavor to put yourself in that same spot. Because when you know that you can control yourself and you can control your own behavior, even under moments of euphoria, when the market's up a lot for reasons you don't even understand, and when the reasons like now when the market's not following through, you're still going to be in control. You're self-contained. And no jawboning by any jackass on TV is going to get you to change your position because you know what you're about. You know how you approach the market. You know how you harvest your names. Now, again, if you're an investment advisor and you have to have the popular names in your portfolio because you have one of those pain-in-the-ass clients who are always calling you up, like, what do you think about this and that? You know, that's a tough spot to be in. You know, my advice <laughs> is rather, rather drastic is don't be in that spot. And that might mean changing your business model. It might mean changing how you relate and speak with clients. The last thing, in my opinion, that you ever want to do is be speaking with clients every day. Because those people now are action junkies and they look at every big little tick, you know. And the, anyway, I don't want to get into that because I just have super strong feelings about it. And it's, uh, it's not worth trying to upset anybody here. But I don't want to be talking to clients every day. If they need quotes, they can go to Yahoo Finance and go bar chart and get them all for free. You know, anywho, that's my thought for today. It's some of these themes that come up in the type of environment that we're in here. It might help you think more clearly. And that means 
you not acting out of emotion for one reason or another. Because when you do that, it typically means drawdown. Anyway, if you would like a free copy of the audiobook version of The Inner Voice of Trading, you can get it for free at Martin Chronicle. Uh, go over there. It's on me. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you tomorrow.